Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello and welcome to our program. I'm Janet Moreno, the Executive Director of Priests for Life. I also co-founded the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, which you're going to hear a lot about today. And welcome to Abortion Recovery Awareness Month. During this program, you're going to learn about abortion and impact on women, men, family members. You're going to learn about healing programs. You're going to learn a little bit about the history of the abortion recovery movement. How did it first get started and so on. There's a lot for us to learn and we want to hear from you during this program. Father Pavone is going to be joining me and we're going to take any question you have throughout the program. So please, let's make this a conversation among us all. And like I just mentioned, joining me now is the National Director of Priests for Life. He's also the Pastoral Director of the Rachel's Vineyard and Silent No More, Father Frank Bavone. Father, welcome yeah. to Abortion Recovery Awareness well, Month. Here we go. we're excited about this this year. <clears throat> we're really pushing hard to let people know that it is Abortion Aware, uh, Recovery Awareness Month. In fact, even Newsmax and some other uh, secular outlets uh, featured me coming on talking about it recently. So there's a greater awareness within the pro-life movement also. Our leaders that were gathered here recently for a strategy summit meeting agreed that this is something important uh, to be promoted. And we want to supplement and observe uh, what's going on this month with these special training programs that we're uh, starting today. And we're going to have a special broadcast each week, as you know, featuring some of our expert colleagues in the area of abortion trauma and healing to really help people understand the devastation abortion brings and the path to recovery. Well, and, you know, Father, people might be wondering, oh, why April? Why are you doing this abortion uh, recovery awareness now? Well, you know, <clears throat> there's other groups like we have breast cancer awarenesses in October. Right. Black History Month is February. Women in History Month is March. And <clears throat> I think we thought, well, April's a good month because it's right before May is Mother's Day and June Father's Day, which we know from our experience because the women and men, mothers and fathers, have been so damaged and impacted by their abortion. We kind of want to get everyone ready mm -hmm. for those occasions because we know, Father, that Mother's Day is so hard for women who've had abortions if they haven't been healed mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. And even after healing, a lot of mothers will still tell me, well, Janet, you know, when Mother's Day rolls around, especially the ones that the only child they were ever able to conceive was the one they aborted because of physical damage, when Mother's Day comes around and churches are giving that special blessing, they feel terrible. They really do, don't they? Yeah. I mean, that's your experience as a priest, yeah, right? Exactly. And we have to be able <clears throat> to address this. We have to address it. We have to let them know we are aware of the, the wound, we are aware of the grief, and that we have hope for healing. That's well, right. as we talk about these things, of course, we want to encourage you, our audience, to leave your questions, leave your comments, 
and uh, we will be happy to respond to uh, to them. I already see one of the very important and frequent question: Where do the souls of aborted babies go? Uh, thank you uh, for that question. And you know, Janet, we can uh, intersperse these questions and answers with the right. the <coughs> things we want to present here today. Uh, but that is a, a one of the questions that weighs very heavily in the mind and heart of those who have abortions. Right. Where's my baby now? Where's my baby? Especially as they come to more of an awareness that what they aborted was in fact a baby. Right. And part of the healing is breaking the denial, right? So in order to justify abortion, whether in your own life that you might have one, or in a generic conceptual sense, oh well maybe this abortion's not so bad, you have to dehumanize the child. Now, in dehumanizing the child, you dehumanize yourself, and we'll be delving into that more during this month and during these broadcasts, what exactly that means, because that's one of the biggest wounds of abortion. It's very simply that you've dehumanized yourself. But dehumanizing the child is one of the big lies that supports abortion. Oh, it's not really a child, you know. Therefore, the person getting the abortion says, well, it can't be that bad. Uh, the person doing the abortion, the abortionists, tell themselves that lie over and over. Oh, it's not really a child. Okay. So that denial is there. Layers and layers and layers of it. When the healing process begins, when repentance occurs, the denial is broken. Right. And the one who once thought, <clears throat> this is not a baby, begins to realize... It was this a baby. was a baby. baby. That's right. And, <clears throat> and then at that point, that's when their mind wonders, and where is my baby Where's now? Where's my baby now? And I think, Father, you know, St. John Paul II really expressed it so well in the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae. We refer to it all the time, paragraph 99, right, and Father? Trust. We the idea of entrustment. Yeah. right. Yes, <clears throat> exactly. That's the paragraph. And, and there's so many different <clears throat> resources, by the way, in these seminars that we're going to give to people. Right. And this is one of them. Friends, as you're watching, these are going to be conversations, but they're also going to have the substance of classes, uh, really mini seminars. So please be ready with your pen and paper or your, or take your, notes. <laughs> your iPad or computer <clears throat> uh, to take <clears throat> some notes down. And this is the first thing we want to, as we're answering this very important question, uh, we want to point to is gospeloflife.org. That's the place where they can get that document from John Paul II called the Gospel of Life. Okay, gospeloflife.org. And look at paragraph 99. And look at paragraph 99. Because right. that's where <clears throat> this Pope, this saint of life, John Paul II, whom I was privileged to know personally and work for at the Vatican, uh, directly addresses those who have had abortions directly addresses them. Uh, because, Janet, that's the other context of all of this, is that we who oppose abortion... Do not oppose those who've had abortions. Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. So we say them <laughs> about 50 million times well, a and, day. And the thing uh, he said was that these women, having repented and healed, are the most eloquent voices out there. That's right. That's right. And we're going to get into that in this episode <laughs> right. as we talk about the, what the Silent No More campaign is. But John Paul addresses the question that our questioner asked. What about the child? Right. Where's the child? And the answer to that question, my friends, comes from a very important uh, scripture that St. Paul reminds Timothy in his letter to him. He says, 
God wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, we also, Janet, have to combine that teaching with the teaching of Jesus on the necessity of baptism. He says you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom. So people say, well, how do these two fit together? We know that God wants all to be saved, but he has given us a specific path to salvation. Necessity of baptism is clear. What we believe, brothers and sisters, is that God does not abandon those who through no fault of their own are not able to be baptized. Right. And certainly Janet, an aborted baby, it's no fault of Fault's his no or hers that, baby. that they're not baptized, no. right? So but they weren't even allowed to be born. <laughs> so God has not told us everything he does. God hasn't told us how he does everything he does. So what we have to do at that point is to trust, first of all, friends, that God loves that baby more than we do. Okay, so the mom who's healing from abortion, we say to her, do you believe that God loves your baby even more than you do? So if you're concerned about where that baby is or has that baby been saved, believe me, God is concerned all the more. Secondly, do you trust that God is able by his almighty power to give that baby a path to salvation. He's told us what our path is. I mean, we have to believe, be baptized, and then live a faithful Christian life. What is the path for that baby? Honestly, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But we do know that God loves that baby more than we do and that he's going to provide a path. That's right. And so John Paul II says in that paragraph, and trust your child to the Lord. Trust his mercy that he forgives you when you turn and repent. Right. But then entrust, so together with trust comes entrust, and trust the child into his hands. That's the, uh, the advice that we give. It's not, you know, one, one should not think, oh, the baby wasn't baptized, therefore the baby's going to hell. That's not what we teach. That's not. That's no. not what we teach. No, not um, at all. And in fact, Father, you know, <clears throat> we get the same question of women who suffered a miscarriage. Again, same category. The baby was not able to be baptized. So we still tell them about the entrustment. It's exactly. very important. Exactly. Well, someone is also <coughs> asking, where do our souls go, we who have had abortions? Uh, and, of course, that's where, again, John Paul II answers that very right. clearly. He says there is always, as long as you are alive, there is always hope of repentance. That's right. Turn to the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. Recognize the, the, the evil of what you have done and then receive his mercy. Where, or, where do our souls go? If we've had an abortion, if we've been involved in abortions, uh, you know, let's look at someone like Bernard Nathanson. I knew him. You and I both knew him. Right. And we got to know him pretty well, actually. Well, he, he converted he, from being a, a Jewish atheist, right, no belief, right. to becoming pro-life and eventually being baptized by John Cardinal O'Connor, a Catholic. Into a Catholic church, yes. That's right. And <clears throat> so his sins were forgiven. And in fact, I was with him, uh, we were both with him the day he announced his conversion. Yes. It was at an HLI conference in 1994. Human yeah. Life International is HLI. And uh, he said at that conference, he, he talked about how he was growing in faith. And he said, I stand before you today on the brink of conversion. And the room went, went wild. Went wild. And you remember who <laughs> leapt up into the air mm -hmm. the furthest? Yes, Alice Van Hildebrand. Yeah, who recently passed away. Yeah. He was a great voice for life as she well. She was, she was. But we assured <clears throat> Dr. Nathan said, I was privileged to be moderating that workshop where he gave that speech. 
And I assured him in the name of, the, of God, of the church, and of all of us there representing the pro-life movement that forgiveness was, was, was his. That's uh, right. Because he was repenting. Mm -hmm. He was repenting of his sin. And now his sins involved you know, overseeing the world's largest abortion facility, being uh, responsible for some 60,000 abortions, not all of which he did with his own hands, but he trained medical students and he oversaw the, uh, well, the abortion facility. Well, he aborted so his own that, child. Including his own child. So that, he was responsible for tens of thousands of abortions. And furthermore, he was responsible in a sense for all the abortions taking place in all the abortion facilities in right. the sense that he helped to launch the abortion industry. I mean, that's a lot of guilt to bring before the Lord. But that's he, a lot but of guilt. even him, now that he repented, is forgiven. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, Father, that reminds me of the gospel we heard this past Sunday in the Common Lectionary of the woman who was committing adultery. Yes. And the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody wanted her stoned because that was the, the punishment for right. committing adultery. And Jesus was there and they were asking, well, you know, come on, can't we stone her? And <clears throat> Jesus was writing in the dirt and he looked up and he told them, you who have, have no sins, cast the first stone. Yes. And one by one, they went away. And while they were going away, he was writing on the ground. Now, the That's scripture doesn't <clears throat> tell us what, he was, what he was writing. <clears throat> Some people speculate he was writing the commandments. Yeah. You know. And then they're all gone. He looks up to the woman and, he's, and he says, oh, no one's condemned you? And that's when he said, the most, this is, it answers this question for yes. this lady. Yes. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, so that's the answer to what, what happens to your soul. Yeah. Jesus' mercy is always there for any woman who's had an abortion. Any, any. And Father, you've ministered to women who've had multiple abortions. Well, we have, uh, <clears throat> uh, first of all, uh, the Centers for Disease Control reports in the United States cases of multiple abortions all the time. People have three, four, five, nine abortions. We yeah. have had, furthermore, on, in Rachel's Vineyard, which we're going to teach people more about in these seminars, uh, I've ministered to people who have had 26 abortions. Wow. I mean, and, and, and I, when I mention that in my pro-life homilies, there's always an audible gasp, always, audible gasp throughout the, the congregation. But I, then I say, repenting of her sins, she even that woman will be forgiven. not only will be forgiven, but can become a saint. Mm -hmm. So where do our souls go? Our souls go into the hands of God if we want to. If right. we want to, we can always turn away. The mercy from, from is always sin. there. We have to reach that hand to, to grasp we it. We have to grasp it. Like Pope, Pope, Pope Francis it. says, you know, it's <clears throat> not God that gets tired of forgiving us. We get tired of asking him for forgiveness. That's right. You know, we, we, we are the ones <clears throat> who begin to doubt, can he really forgive this sin? We're the ones that begin to wonder, you know, have I, have I reached my quota? You know, have I committed too many sins for the mercy right. of God to meet <clears throat> me? And the answer is never, never, never have we reached that any kind of a quota. God's mercy is infinite infinite. Now, the thing about that is we have to ask for it. We have to ask for it with confidence and we have to employ the means that God has given us. So, of course, uh, people, of course, who are watching are in all different denominations. You go to your pastor, you, 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 you turn to Christ in the way that your, you know, your denominational faith uh, uh, indicates. Uh, here, of course, in, in, in the Catholic community, we have the beautiful sacrament of reconciliation where people confess their sins and, uh, you know, turn to Christ for that mercy. So, 
Let me, uh, I, was, I was trying to, to frame this whole discussion. When we think about Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, okay, what are we talking, what are we giving awareness of? If we're giving awareness of recovery from abortion, then that implies that there was a damage done. Right. Recovery, in other words, from <laughs> what? So educating people in Abortion Recovery Awareness Month means educating them about not just the path to recovery, but also the damage that was done that requires a path to recovery, right? So I was thinking that we, I would go to the board, just lay out a couple of basic thoughts, and then we'll delve into a little bit more what our campaign that we have together with Anglicans for Life, the Silent No More campaign, says about all this. Yeah, and, and we also have to show them, too, a little bit of the history Mm -hmm. of, of the recovery, too. We're going to do that, friends. And uh, so let's, let's put here, first of all, we have a new website, What Follows Abortion. And that's um, one that we have launched, whatfollowsabortion.org. We have launched that for Abortion uh, uh, Recovery Awareness Month because when you ask the question, what follows abortion, then that has a dual answer. What follows is a whole lot of wounds, a whole lot of damage, a whole lot of devastation. And what also follows is healing, if one seeks it. Healing, forgiveness, and peace. This we want to very much give you and everyone who needs it. The wounds and the damage, let's start off with a general principle. That abortion, okay, damages everyone that it touches, everyone. Friends, I can tell you as an absolute certainty. There is nobody who gets involved with abortion, either by undergoing the procedure herself, or advising it, assisting it, participating in it in any way whatsoever, who is not damaged. There is no one that was not damaged if they come anywhere near abortion. So it's not true to say, well, you know, some women are damaged by abortion, or most women are harmed by abortion. No, every single one who gets an abortion, and everyone else involved, is always damaged by it. Now, what will vary is the specific kind of damage, the extent of the damage, and what will also vary is their awareness of the damage, because many people live through years, even decades, of uh, living with the damage and don't realize that the damage was from the abortion. Okay, so some of that awareness is precisely what comes to them on the path of recovery. But you have to start with the understanding that it damages everyone. And it damages everyone from a number of different uh, angles. Physical, psychological, relational, and intergenerational. Let me just say a little word about these and of course in our programs and as this month goes on 
our educational efforts will unpack this, as do the books and the articles and the websites that we are going to refer you to, starting with whatfollowsabortion.org. Abortion has physical damage for a very simple reason. It's the same reason why you would expect there to be damage if you're driving your car down a highway at 60 miles an hour and suddenly put it in reverse. That's not natural for the car. That's not how the car is supposed to work. And if you do that, there's going to be damage to the car, to you, and others around you. You just don't do that. Same with abortion. A baby is growing within the womb of a mother. The body is focused on protecting and nurturing that baby. That's the correct way that the body functions in those circumstances. To reverse that, to go in there with instruments or chemicals and stop the development of that baby, i.e. kill that baby, is unnatural and that's going to have consequences. It's going to have physical consequences, first and foremost, of course, for the baby, but also for the mother carrying that baby. You can't separate the two. What happens to the baby is going to impact the mother. What happens to the mother impacts the baby. Killing the baby in the womb ends up uh, 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 introducing all kinds of physical complications. Now, those complications can arise either inherently from the abortion procedure being so unnatural, or they can arise from the carelessness with which the procedure is done. Sometimes the procedure can be done with even more recklessness and carelessness. The procedure, by definition, is reckless and violent. But some, are more, some abortionists are more unscrupulous than others, and they can introduce even more problems if, for example, the instruments are not properly sterilized or their visualization of what they're doing, and then most of the time it's done without visualization, uh, is, uh, is even less than in other circumstances. You can end up puncturing the uterus. You can end <coughs> up uh, creating uh, hemorrhaging, infection, uh, uh, and, and, and all kinds of other uh, physical immediate and also long-term complications. We'll go into this in more detail and I'm going to show you a book or two that, that outlines a lot of these physical complications. It can lead to um, problems in later pregnancy. It can lead to infertility, first of all. Problems in later pregnancy such as preterm uh, uh, labor and birth or uh, placenta previa or um, autoimmune diseases are increased by abortion. Breast cancer, the risk of breast cancer is increased by abortion uh, and a lot of other physical problems. On the psychological level, again, the woman's body and her psyche are, are, are all directed towards the nurturing and care of that baby when she's going through a pregnancy. Psychological problems that result from aborting that pregnancy have to do, for example, with things like, first of all, what do I think of myself? What am I capable of? You, 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 you abort a baby and you begin to wonder who you are the more you realize what you just did. You begin to doubt your own capacity to protect your own children or to protect yourself. 
The guilt that follows abortion can be so strong that the person ends up punishing herself for having done it, and that could lead to uh, severe risk-taking behavior, attempts, or, or, or ideas about suicide. Why? Because I'm so terrible that I just killed my child. It can lead, and, and it should be easy to understand, to difficulties bonding with future children. If I killed the one child, well, I don't know if I'm worthy to have this one, or if you're still uh, trying to stay attached to that child that you aborted, uh, you know, it's going to be harder to attach to a child that God gives you later. Substance abuse, to cover the pain, is a common uh, increased effect of having an abortion. And on and on it goes. Depression, nightmares. This is not speculation. This is something we deal with all the time in ministering to people who have had abortions. Relational damage of abortion includes relationship with God. Who is God? Is he against me? Has he rejected me? I can't have faith anymore. I don't go into church. The church is going to fall down on me. All kinds of, of, of doubts about one's relationship with God. Relational in terms of the baby's father. Most relationships will end up breaking up after an abortion because, after all, there's the person who caused my pain. Sexual intimacy is affected by having an abortion. Very many people find that they're not able to engage in normal sexual intimacy because, again, psychologically what their mind is telling them, what their emotions are telling them, what their body is telling them is this is the action, the sexual intimacy, that started all my pain. Think about it. It makes sense. It can interfere with sexual intimacy. It can interfere with relationships with one's parents, especially if the parents were the ones pushing for the abortion. There's going to be a lot of anger there the more one suffers the devastating pain that that abortion brings, that other people in their life who were supposed to be caring for them ended up not telling them about. Should have known better. All kinds of other relational problems I already mentioned briefly in this other category, psychological category, of the problems that can arise in bonding with future children. Abortion leads to an increase in child abuse and child neglect. Then there are intergenerational implications of this. Again, the, the, the connection with child abuse is there. And also, as Dr. Philip Ney, Canadian psychiatrist and premier researcher on abortion impact, has told us the key factor in whether a woman gets an abortion is whether her mother had gotten, gotten one in the past. There's an intergenerational effect uh, connected deeply with um, uh, daughter, mother-to-daughter relationship and uh, other intergenerational effects as well. These are just some highlighted categories of the damage that abortion does, and there have been numerous, numerous books and studies and bibliographies written detailing these by means of serious studies. Then, what follows abortion? The path to healing, forgiveness, and peace. And that's what Janet and I are going to um, uh, resume talking about uh, now as we discuss our, um, our own efforts in this area. So let me go back to my chair and resume talking here with Janet about our Silent No More campaign. I was 16 years old when I found out I was pregnant. I was the good girl in the family. I wasn't supposed to have a pregnancy. 
My friend said you could have an abortion. I had no idea what an abortion was, but she said it would make my problem go away and that's all I wanted. So I made arrangements, I found the clinic, I drove there. I remember feeling, this feels wrong that I'm going to kill my baby, but it's legal, so it must be okay. I knew what I was doing. My moral compass was trying to send up a signal, but the legality of it said, it's got to be okay. The procedure went quickly. I remember they gave me a big horse pill to relax me. And I don't recall meeting the doctor. I don't recall um, any interaction with him. The only thing I really remember is the fact that this nurse walked by with a stainless steel canister in her hand. And I said to her, is that my baby? And she patted my shoulder and she said, it will be okay. And hot tears streamed down my face. I got dressed. I drove to my sister's house that night because my mother and father did not know I was pregnant. So I was just so going to Canada to see my sister. I got to my sister's and I spent the night. I remember laying in the bed, curled up in a fetal position, crying. But I couldn't understand why I was crying because I was really relieved not to be pregnant. But I couldn't stop crying. I didn't, I now understand it was the trauma of the experience that as a 16 year old, I was not prepared to handle. I got up on Sunday morning and I remember thinking, I've got to pull it together and go home and act like nothing happened. And as I got dressed, I remember thinking, Saturday was just a bad dream. It wasn't real. And folks, for 19 years, I lived in that place of denial, pretending that Saturday never happened. And that was my form of protection. Except when I heard the word abortion, then it felt like somebody stuck a knife in my stomach and twisted it. Sanctity of Life Sunday, after I got married and started going to church and meeting Jesus, Sanctity of Life Sunday was a time of wanting to crawl out of the worship service and when I got home, all I wanted to do was to drink my fears, my judgment, my guilt away. That continued for a lot of years until one day God broke through and I recognized that I didn't just have an abortion. I aborted a baby, my baby. And once I realized it was a baby and I acknowledged her, the tears and the grief started. And that's when healing started. You see, folks, we need to grieve our lost babies. We need to grieve our lost family members. These are human beings who are supposed to be here. And when someone dies, we grieve for them. Grieving is healthy. Grieving is normal. So please pray for those people you know that have had abortions, that they would finally be able to start the grieving process to begin the healing process. We share these stories, and it's not easy to do, because we want to let people know healing is available. The healing programs are all Christian-based. So the great news is you meet Jesus 
and you make peace with your greatest sin. It's a win-win. So please, folks, take that win-win message home. Share the truth and join us in being silent no more. Thank you. Well, what you just saw, that's Georgette Forney, and she co-founded the Silent No More Awareness Campaign along with me. And that was a testimony she gave at the Walk for Life out in San Francisco. And if you listen to her story, some of the things that Father Frank just told you about the physical damage, the psychological damage, all the things he was just teaching you about, you heard running throughout her testimony. Exactly. Right, Father? That's right. It's repeated in testimony after testimony. Right. Well, and now we're getting a question here from Lori Ann, and I want to say to Lori Ann, uh, thank you uh, for joining us there on Rachel's Vineyard Facebook, watching this program. And obviously you went through Rachel's Vineyard, but you want to know how can you get, give even more back to the ministry? Well, to the ministry of Silent No More is where we could use you. First of all, Silent No More Awareness Campaign, we are in desperate need of more regional coordinators. You might say, what is a regional coordinator? It's someone who in their community helps raise up awareness like this abortion recovery month, but throughout the year and helps bring people to the healing resources that are right there in their mm -hmm. community. Yes. So we could use you as a regional coordinator with Silent No More. The other thing is too, have you written your testimony and given it to us at the Silent No More uh, website? So go to silentnomore.com, take the first step, register your regret, give us your full testimony, and then send me an email, janet at silentnomore.com. Pray about it. If you want to be a regional coordinator, then Georgette and I will train you and like I said, we need more regional coordinators throughout the country. And Janet, one of the things people can, I always say when people say, how can we guys help you in return? Spreading the word, those three little words, right. spreading the word, is always, always a tremendous need because everyone listening to us now can reach people that we cannot reach. Might be pastors that they tell about our resources. Right. Might be other pro-life <laughs> groups in their local community. Maybe they don't know as much about all this as, as, we, as we, we want them to. Uh, spreading the word is so, so valuable, so important. And sometimes spreading the word to people who are, you know, donors to the pro-life cause and they're looking for where do, I, where do I direct my donations that can really make an impact. This makes an impact. Sharing Absolutely. these stories, oh my goodness, there's nothing that makes more of an impact uh, for people to understand this issue. That's right. Well, now, you know, people might be wondering, okay, Janet, in 2002, you and Georgia developed the campaign. How, how, how come it took so long, I think, is the what question. What was the context? What yeah. was the context? Yeah. Well, first of all, 1973, Roe v. Wade becomes uh, making abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy. And as you went into the 80s, abortion clinics were just springing up all yeah, over the that's country. Right. The numbers it was were skyrocketing. Until it was rampant. Late 80s, early 90s, it got to a peak of 1.6 million a year. We always used to say at that time when we were first getting involved, a 4,400 a day. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In, in America. And so there wasn't much out there yet. There were some very early researches, uh, which we're going to refer to. We had Dr. Philip Ney, oh, yes. uh, a great psychiatrist up in Canada. He wrote this book, Father Deeply Damaged. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he started his uh, research it, almost in the, in the 70s. And in fact, um, the Surgeon General under Reagan. I was going to mention him. You see Everett Koop, President Ronald Reagan was pro-life. 
And he said to his Surgeon General, C. Everett Koop, we need to learn more about how abortion impacts women's health. Right. Dr. <laughs> Koop approached Dr. Ney. Yes. And Dr. Ney, to this day, regrets the fact that back in those early days, they didn't have enough research. The tools, they were just beginning. They were just beginning. And, 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 Dr. and, and Dr. Koop ended up going back to, to President Reagan and saying, listen, we know. There's damage. There's damage. We, there's no question about that. But unfortunately, Mr. President, our ability to measure it has not yet matured, matured enough. enough. And Dr. Ney, <laughs> even to this day, he's continuing his research. And you know, and this this 80s, book uh, I'm holding up, Father, is still available on Amazon. Oh, of course. Deeply Damaged, yep. Dr. Philip Ney, I highly recommend it. And he has a, a healing program called Hope Alive. In which you are trained. Which I am fully trained. I'm actually on the board of Hope Alive. Um, but the concept of, of Dr. Ney's program here, it says an explanation for the profound problems arising from aborting babies and abusing children. Deep connection. Deep connection. And he talks about that God created us all just innocent little children. We're born with a blueprint of, of what God sees as your potential. Mm -hmm. Well, then all these things interrupt that right. and damage it. Right. And then he shows in this book how to come out of that damage into healing. So this was one of the early researchers, along with another gentleman, uh, I'm gonna, doc, our, friend. Uh, our friend, Dr. Uh, David Reardon. And <clears throat> this is a very interesting book. He wrote, it, uh, first print was in 1987. I know, Father, when you were my parish priest, we read this book back in the early That's 90s. That's right, because I was ordained in 88. <clears throat> this book had just come out. Yeah. And so aborted women silent no more. Notice the phrase that Georgette and I use, silent no more. Yeah was used back then. And David and, is still around doing his he's work. He's still doing really research. appreciate him, yes. Yeah. Now, this book, I'm not sure if you can still get it. I, it might be out of print. But uh -huh. in this book, he begins to talk and interview women who've had abortions right. and are regretting it and are looking for healing and reconciliation. And he, the first, very first group of women that began speaking were called Women Exploited by Abortion was Weba. the name. Weba was the group and that was going around in the late 80s um but there weren't that many of them there weren't that many women who were finding healing and speaking and we out. of course came <clears throat> to know the originator the, the original right. people behind that <clears throat> and encouraged them right uh, and then at the same time we have our colleague uh, the the founder of rachel's vineyard dr Teresa burke writes mm -hmm. this book forbidden grief uh, and she also collaborated on this book with Dr. David Reardon. So these were the beginnings. And from this work, then Dr. Teresa Burke went, and I'm going to get my next tool, which is the Rachel's Vineyard Retreat Manual. Yes. <clears throat> and this now, thanks be to God, uh, has blossomed that Rachel's Vineyard Retreats are held by the, at, this, at right now uh, in about 75 countries, and this manual has been translated in over 25 different languages. And of course, it has become a ministry of priests for life in the sense that it operates right. actually as, as a worldwide right. mm -hmm. uh, 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 in partnership with Priests for Life. Right. And I serve as the pastoral director of that entire ministry. It is a blessing. And it takes uh, the psychological research that Dr. Burke has done and in communication with many other researchers as well, seeing abortion as a trauma, and combines that awareness, trauma theory, trauma healing, combines that awareness with the Word of God and the power of the sacraments right. into a powerful retreat that enables people to break through denial, to restore hope, 
and to set themselves on the journey of healing. One of the things people have to be aware of when you talk about abortion recovery is that it is a lifetime journey, a lifetime project. Even though we have weekend retreats for Rachel's Vineyard, even though in other programs you may have a six or a 12-week Bible study, nobody is saying that the healing happens in a weekend. Nobody no. is saying that after the six or the 12 weeks or whatever it might be, you're done, you don't have to think about it anymore. No, abortion recovery is a lifelong process. Well, the women themselves, Father, describe it of like peeling an onion. Another right. layer comes off and another That's right. layer comes off. Because as off. we said before, there are layers of denial. Right. There and there are layers, layers of, of wounds. And then there's layers of healing. There have to be. Right. Yeah. So this is what was going on <clears throat> in the early days, so to speak. Uh, heal healing programs. And one of the very earliest uh, mm -hmm. Bible programs was done again in the eight, late 80s by Linda Cochran called uh, Forgiven and Set Free. This is still available again on Amazon. And then years later, she developed this other one, Healing a Father's Heart. So the awareness about the men the began men. to grow. It began to and, grow. And, and now it's at full force. I so mean. now fast forward to 2002, and Georgia and I were already colleagues in the pro-life movement. And the, the leadership of the movement was looking at, well, next year is going to be the 30th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. What should the response be? So mm. Georgia and I said, well, I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, Father. But it has to be a woman's response. Because at this point, both Georgette in Anglicans for Life and me in my contacts with Dr. Burke and Rachel's Vineyard and Dr. Nay, I knew there were so many women all over the country hurting and getting healing. The problem was no one knew about it. The, uh, the other side, <clears throat> the abortion movement, they, they were claiming like, oh, this is, have an abortion today, go back to work and school tomorrow, no big deal. That was the mantra. And we said, no, we've got to change the dynamic. We have to change the story and let the voices of experience speak against all the political rhetoric that well, was Well, you know, and Georgette went, uh, this was in 2002, to the Supreme Court <coughs> after the March for Life. We had March right. for Life that day, and then right. in the evening she went over there because the pro-abortion group had a little rally, rally in front of the court. Celebrating right? choice. Yeah, and uh, so she went there holding a sign saying, I regret choosing to abort my baby. And she found there that people weren't paying attention to her. They weren't acknowledging these people that pretended to be having concern for women, didn't seem to have concern for her. Right. Only one person approached her, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's like, wait a minute, I'm a woman too. I have a voice and I regret my abortion. Well, I remember her coming back from Back to the hotel. Angry. Angry and upset. Yes, right. and the three of us sat together and we said, we have to do something about this. Exactly. We have to give voices to those who have had abortions. And, and of course, we knew all these things that were already ha going on, but we said, let's take it to a new level. Let's start a campaign called Silent No More. And uh, In fact, I called Dr. David Reardon, and I said, well, David, you know, I know you have that book, Aborted Women, Silent No More. Can we use that Is it that okay phrase? with you? He said, yeah, of course, right. Janet, of Well, course, and then you know. we got the buy-in of the entire movement of all the different groups that were doing healing after abortion when we got together at the Heartbeat International Conference that, that, that year. That fall of and, and, uh, 2002. And, and we brought them together, and we explained the concept. We said, mm -hmm. listen, 
we want to go forward with this, but we want to go forward with this in tandem with all of you. And they were 100% right. on board. They said, go for it. Let's do this. And that uh, January, of 20, uh, 2000, January of 2003. And three, the 30th anniversary 30, of Roe 30th v. Wade. 30th of yeah. Roe, after the March for Life, and it was kind of getting cold and dark, we stood with women in front of the Supreme Court and each woman came up and gave a three-minute testimony. Well, I want to show the little promo, the little <laughs> silent no more promo, one-minute spot, that gives people a nice feel for what and visual of what the silent no more campaign is all about. And then when we come back from watching that promo, I want to go back to the board because I want to talk about something about testimony. And we'll take a few more questions because I see uh, great questions coming in uh, from our viewers and, and keep bringing them. We'll get to them, friends. And I want to say a word about testimony in the Christian, uh, in the Christian history. So let's take a look at the clip uh, uh, promoting Silent No More. Powerful new voices are arising in the debate over abortion. The voices of those who have actually experienced it. From coast to coast, women and men who have lost children to abortion are speaking out about its pain and devastation and about the healing and forgiveness they have found through the pro-life movement. Their witness is changing hearts and minds. Former U.S. Senator Zell Miller writes, The most poignant sight for me at this year's annual pro-life march and demonstration in Washington, D.C. was the large number of women holding signs saying they regretted their abortions. Celebrity Kourtney Kardashian says, I looked online and I was sitting on the bed hysterically crying, reading these stories of people who felt so guilty from having an abortion. I was reading these things of how many people are traumatized by it afterwards. Friends, isn't that, isn't that inspiring? I mean, to, to march together with those women and men and to give witness, to give the voice. This is the power of testimony. And testimony is very, very familiar to us as Bible-believing Christians. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the testimony of the Father. Remember when he stood before Pilate and they were talking about his kingdom. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The reason I came, the reason I was born, was to give testimony to the truth. Jesus said that anything he says, anything he does, is the Father, the Father revealing himself. Jesus gives testimony to the Father. And then Jesus tells us to give testimony to him. And he sends the Spirit, who in turn gives testimony to him and to the Father. We have St. Paul. What, what happened to St. Paul? He, spe he spells out, and we read it in Scripture, his conversion. He was once persecuting the church. And then Jesus appeared to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul converted and became one of the greatest teachers of the gospel to the nations. And what did he do? He gave testimony about how God intervened in his life and changed his path and brought him mercy and forgiveness and healing. St. Paul, St. Augustine, he gives us the great book called Confessions. What does he do in that book, which has become a Christian classic? He gives testimony. How is the gospel handed on from generation to generation, from person to person? People give testimony. 
God intervened in my life. I was on the wrong path, but God woke me up. That's what this is. When someone stands in front of a group and says, I aborted my children, they might testify to one, to two, to five abortions. When a dad stands up and says, you know, I wasn't a man, I wasn't man enough to, to say we're going to get through this and I'm going to on your side and on the baby's side, but instead drove her to an abortion facility and sat outside in the parking lot while she was in there getting violated by these instruments that, that chopped up the baby. And these men stand up and repent and give testimony. People are convicted. They're convicted, first of all, that abortion is wrong and it's damaging. They're convicted that, you know what? There's hope for those who have had abortions. God is ready to forgive if we turn to Him. And the third thing it says to people is that even if they weren't involved in the sin of abortion, there's hope and there's healing and there's mercy for them. So it's a way of giving witness to the gospel. It is a testimony. Janet, I'm going to come back to you. But yeah. uh, Well, I'm going to answer your... a couple of these questions, Father. Um, they're, again, asking... How can they get started with their testimony? Very simple. Go to silentnomore.com. That's our main website. And right there, there's a link where you can share your testimony. So you click on that link and there's a form. It will take you through step by step on how to write out your testimony. Beautiful. And then at the bottom of the form, there's another little click. You have to tell us, you give us permission to post your testimony up on our website. Mm -hmm. You can go there and write your testimony and be anonymous. That's fine with us. Because some people, just the process of doing it is healing. But what's even better is if you click off and say, yes, put it on the website, we will then post it on our website. And also, too, we will see if we have a regional coordinator in your area and we'll put you in touch with them. And if not, then Georgette or I will be in touch with you. And that's why I said we need more regional coordinators. Bob. We need regional coordinators, <clears throat> more voices. There are, we know the voices are out there. A lot of times people are just <clears throat> hesitant to, to, to join those voices, but it is a beautiful healing experience. But everybody who but, adds their voices, it gives more of an amen to those who are done yeah, it. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know? A lot of good questions here. Okay, and then someone wants to know uh, about seminarians. Well, whether it's... I don't think this is taught a lot in the seminary, but seminarians are welcomed on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, and so are priests and deacons and other ministers, because even if they haven't had an abortion, they can name a child of someone who, who the, maybe they know, a friend. Um, well, when I went through the Rachel's Vineyard <clears throat> retreat myself, I mourned the baby of a friend of mine who had an abortion. That's right. And, uh, and I, someone here is asking too, Father, about the friends. Someone else asked the question, well, what about the friend who took the friend for an abortion? Well, let's talk about that because that introduces the whole shockwave uh, concept. Right. But we, uh, uh, she was also asking, do the seminarians get trained about this? Absolutely. We have, tr we have seminars for seminarians. We go we've gone into seminaries all across the country and taught them about this. We have online seminars. We have the Good the Shepherd, Shepherd Project. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tell them about that. Well, the Good Shepherd Project is ongoing once a month seminar. They can mm -hmm. go to thegoodshepherdproject.com. You can sign up a priest, a deacon, or seminarian. Seminarian, right. We will send them the email. We're, we're going to have another seminar this month. Uh, April 26th. April the 26th, yeah. and it's at uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern it's time. Eastern time. It's online like this is, uh, and we'll invite them. They'll get an invitation to come on the Zoom link, and uh, it, it's a great, great resource. And, and, and all these books that we're talking about, we send them out to the seminaries. 
Yes, we do. We send them out. So, and, so and talking about shockwaves, shockwaves this yes. is my book, Shockwaves, Abortion, Wide Circle of Victims, available at our online store at ProLifeProducts.org, where we have Dr. Teresa Burke's book. We have a lot of these resources are at our online store right. at ProLifeProducts.org. And the whole idea of shockwaves, the subtitle is Abortion's Wider Circle of Victims. Right. The primary victim is the baby. More and more awareness, of course, is out there that the mother, mother is hurt, the father, the father is hurt. But the then what about the grandparents, the grandparents right? The, grandparents, the siblings. siblings. But what about the friends, as yes. our questioner said? Okay, so if a mother can have all kinds of, of regret and psychological pain from having killed her baby, from having been deceived enough that she could kill her baby, what about the friend who drove her there? Right. When that friend realizes that that was a real baby, that that baby was further developed than she thought it was. When, when she realizes, furthermore, the damage, the suffering her friend is undergoing because of that abortion, is not she going to grieve? Is not she going to have to repent? Is not she going to have to be ministered to with the healing and the compassion that we bring to all these other people? Of course, the answer is yes. And so the friends are very, very much in need of healing also. Well, and, and the we friends are a lot of different dimensions, Father. There could be the friend who not just drove them, but what about the friend? Uh, the, I've had stories, people tell me about college campuses where friends on a dorm floor have all chipped in towards Ooh, someone's abortion. What a sad and thing. And they think they're helping what their friend. What a sad thing. And then yeah. now, so your money helped pay for the death well, of that well, child. Well, then you have the grief of the friend who on the other side of the coin tried to stop the abortion. And couldn't. And couldn't. Right. She or he grieves very much too. Right. And we provide the help and the healing. So a lot of this information them. is it's in, in that my book, book right. Shockwaves, Abortions, Wide Circle of Victims. And, and the website, abortionshockwaves.com. Abortionshockwaves.com gives a lot of further information. Let's take a couple of other questions while we still have time here. Don't you think the, the problem is that the feminists who are generally prideful women hide the fact that it makes wounds and damage. Oh, they hide it very well. Oh, yeah. Well, because they're calling it, Father, reproductive health care. Well, and they want to do the opposite. <laughs> you know one of the ways they try to hide it, these prideful... Uh, 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 well, you know what it is? It's, it's a hijacking of feminism. Because there, there is an authentic pro-life Christian feminism. Mm -hmm. But this radical pro-abortion feminism is a hijacking of feminism. But what they try to do, they try to do the opposite of this campaign, and they say, oh, let's shout our abortion. Let's celebrate our abortion. Let's make it clear that it's okay that we had abortion. And we feel good about it. Yeah, a lot of people feel good about it. Talk to them three years later, five years later, ten years later. They don't. The right. progression to trajectory is, you know, the denial that we talked about that gets a person into abortion in the first place mm -hmm. can, can, can remain with that person for a very long time, years, even decades. The denial can remain with them. Later on, they break out of it, and boy, does it hurt. Absolutely. Do you know that some people were having abortion at home with a friend doctor? That's right. There's a lot of secret ways to have an abortion. Well, of course, the abortion industry likes to push it towards that direction. Well, now, too, more by and the, more with the chemical, mail-in. Right. Yeah. The, with the abortion pill, the uh, medical abortion, that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. The woman is becoming the abortionist herself. There's even more pain And there. there's more pain, more trauma. They're coming, they're coming to healing quicker because she is the abortionist because she takes the pill, and her bathroom becomes the abortion clinic. So they're reaching out for help. People sooner. have to understand something here. And I mentioned this just, just the 
the other night I spoke at Ave Maria School of Law, uh, 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 Saturday night, and I told the students this because they asked me about the chemical abortion. I said one of the reasons the abortion industry is pushing chemical abortion, beside the fact that they find it hard to find doctors to, you know, take out arms and legs with forceps, uh, is that they don't want to they don't want to see those body parts. So they put the bird, they push the burden onto the woman. It's very selfish right. of the abortion. They push the burden onto the woman to see that baby's arms, legs, or face coming out on the floor in their shower. Right. That's what happens. Exactly. And, and uh, so, yeah, these abortions are... Well, I just want to remind people, because we've given them so much information, but mm -hmm. we do have some of it summed up in handy little brochures. The first one is, what's so bad about abortion? It talks about the 10 things uh, that are so bad about abortion, how it hurts women, available at our online store, ProLifeProducts.org, and then we've written this one for the men, men, myths, men, and abortion. Again, some of the facts about how abortion trauma impacts men. And then, Father, we have this lovely prayer We're book. We're going to conclude with a prayer. That yes. we have. Uh, in the heart of his mercy, prayers to heal the wounds. There's prayers here for uh, fathers who have lost a child to abortion, grandparents of aborted babies, a grandparent who did not know of the child's abortion, and a prayer of an abortion survivor. I mean, the prayers are just beautiful in this book. They are. And we'd love to send a copy to you. Go to ProLifeProducts.org. This is a great tool. Parishes should have this in their book racks because then people realize the, the mercy, that word mercy is so, so clear. Well, I want to say the, the prayer for those who have lost the child to abortion on page four. But before we do so, one last question that's very, very important, Lori Ann, how can I get involved? She reached out to a few places. She didn't hear anything. Uh, what you said already is very important, spreading the testimonies. If you go to, let's just give one more website, abortiontestimonies.com. Right. To go there to get involved in spreading those testimonies is a very valuable way of helping. But I want her to get a response from us, not just this response that I'm giving now, but let's have uh, Laurieann and all of you friends. You can you gave your, your that email address before, right? Janet at, at silentnomore.com. Send me an email. We want to hear from you. We will get you involved. We will. We will respond to you. We and will. I'd love to have you all as regional coordinators. <laughs> we need them. That's throughout one the of the ways. That's one of the ways. So this booklet, In the Heart of His Mercy, prayers to heal the wounds of abortion, to heal the shock waves of abortion, as we were discussing. Let's conclude with this prayer. Oh, and first, though, the other seminars that we're going to have. So a week from today, Monday, April 11th, again at 11 a.m., we'll be going live. And we're going to have some special guests coming up on these some of these programs, um, including Dr. Teresa Burke herself. That's right. 11 a.m. on Monday the 11th. Then Tuesday the 19th at 2 p.m. Right. And then on Monday the 25th at 11 a.m. So we're going to have some interesting uh, topics uh, delving into far more all of this material. So let's let's pray. Lord of all life, you have entrusted to us, uh, you have entrusted us to the care of one another and called us to be one body in Christ. You call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Hear our prayer today for our brothers and sisters who have lost children to abortion. Help us to understand the pain that is in their hearts and to be a living sign to them of your welcome, your mercy, and your healing. Help them to undergo with courage the process of grief and the journey of healing. 
Never allow them to feel alone. Always refresh them with the presence of your Spirit and of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Console them with the sure hope that you love and care for their children. Give them new strength, that even while they grieve what they have lost, they may look forward to all the good that you still have in store for them. Lord of healing and hope, give us all the forgiveness of our sins and the joy of your salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. And available at our online store at ProLifeProducts.org. And just to close, I'd like to then just play as we leave our program for today, the Silent No More song. I think that will leave them inspired. Thanks, Janet. Very good. Thank you. Now the truth. 
This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.